Dr. Ashwini Bapat is a palliative care doctor and co-founder of Hippocratic Adventures, a community of U.S.-trained physicians practicing and dreaming of practicing medicine outside the United States. She's also the founder of Apione MD, which provides virtual serious illness coaching and advanced care planning to individuals and telepalliative care consultations to healthcare organizations. So we talk about the origins of each of those organizations, Hippocratic Adventures and Apione MD, and then she also dispels the myth that you need to do a residency in a country to practice there. In fact, it seems that the United States is the only country, at least the only one she's encountered, that requires residency to be done internally which gives us the ability to practice almost anywhere we speak the language. We also discuss how she set up her telemedicine practice without having to get licensed in all 50 states. And given she's in Portugal, we talk very briefly about the Portuguese healthcare system. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. And now a word from this week's sponsor, Laurel Road. Since I had my son, paying down my med school debt has become my top priority. I remember holding him in my arms for the first time, looking into his beautiful little face, and just wanting the best future for him. With the Laurel Road Student Loan Cashback Card, my regular purchases earn me 2% cashback when I use it to pay down my student loans, which helps me reach my goals faster and plan for my family's future. Laurel Road for Doctors. Banking insights and benefits uniquely designed for doctors. See laurelroad.com slash doctor checking for full terms and conditions. Laurel Road is a brand of Key Bank NA member FDIC. Dr. Ashwini Bapat, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about the origin story for Hippocratic Adventures. How did you start your adventure? Yeah, sure. So um, my husband and I, we always had a dream of moving abroad. And actually, once we had kids, that, um, that draw kind of became more urgent. I grew up partially in India, and I spent my summers there. He grew up partially in France. And so when we were young, we had these formative experiences abroad. And by the time we had kids, we really wanted to share that with them. Uh, at the same time, I was in kind of a steady job and he was just wrapping up fellowship. So it didn't seem like a practical time. And so we kind of decided, let's just move into the suburbs of Boston. And we started the house hunt. And we visited about 20 different houses, the majority of which were perfect on paper. And we just like could not force ourselves to put an offer in. And there was one particular day where we saw essentially the perfect house in the morning. And in the evening, we flew out on vacation, a planned vacation to Spain. And within a couple of days of being in Spain and walking like under Roman aqueducts and by like ancient walls under orange trees, we were both like, what are we doing looking for a house in Boston when we could be living here? And that's kind of where we started searching and Googling, like how can an American doctor practice abroad? Um, that's when we started asking our mentors like, hey, do you know anyone who went abroad with and practiced medicine outside the US. I can um, only assume what the answer was, which is like, that, no, yeah, that, no, nobody does that. You can't exactly. do that. People yeah. don't do that. Like, That's, no, you yeah. join a faculty practice and you make yeah. your way to associate professor. This is what's done. 
Yes, exactly. And that was really hard to hear because I was like, all I want is like, hey, oh, maybe I know someone who did it or just like someone tries to rack their brain. But we just heard a lot of no's and we got a lot of very confused looks of like, why would you want to do that? Because, um, you know, a lot of people do come to the U.S. to practice medicine in the U.S. So going outside the U.S. was very like strange and different. Um, but through this process of searching, we did eventually like start to connect with people that were practicing in Canada and New Zealand and Australia and the UK. And we started like figuring out, oh, how do you practice there? How do you practice there? Is that where we want to be? And that's when we started the resource. Like we were like, why don't people are doing this? They've done this before us. Let's like collate all this knowledge and put it together in something that's a little more reliable than like a Reddit thread or Quora from like 10 years ago. Um, so that's kind of what made us think about starting like a more reliable resource. And that's what started Hippocratic Adventures in that we wanted to create a resource where we kind of compile the experiences and stories of other physicians who have gone abroad and basically say, hey, like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. People are doing this and let's just share our knowledge. Um, and so we basically started creating a resource that we wish we had when we had originally popped that question. So how did you end up choosing Portugal? Uh, so we visited Portugal in 2019 and we were, we were scouting out a little bit. And when we arrived here, we were like, huh, I wonder if this is a place our family could live. And one of my criteria, one of my main criteria was that it had to be warmer than Boston, which wasn't that hard as no, it turned out. <laughs> um, so, so that gave us a lot of options. Um, and I really, I honestly like did not want to deal with snow and ice. So that took out a bunch of countries. And when we arrived in Portugal, one of the first things that we noticed was that people were warm and they were warm towards families and young kids. And I could breastfeed in public without a problem. No one looked twice. We could go to like nice restaurants with the kids. They could still throw tantrums and no one like worried. No one gave us weird stares. Um, often they would just like hold the kids for a little bit and try to play with them. Um, and people were just like genuinely kind. Um, and it seemed very family friendly when we were visiting. And so that's part of the reason that we ended up choosing Portugal. Um, also the weather is fantastic. And um, it is the first winter, the first winter I spent here was the first winter where I wasn't like depressed in January, February, and March. So that, that was huge for me. But you guys, to be clear, you guys aren't practicing medicine yes. in the Portuguese health system. Right. Correct. You guys are both practicing telehealth in the United States. Correct. So, yes. so yeah. that's right. Tell us a so little more both, about that. Yeah. So we both practice telemedicine from Portugal into the US. And the reason that we kind of landed on that was because to practice here in person, obviously you do need to know Portuguese. Um, and so we are learning Portuguese, but we knew that immediately in coming here, we wouldn't be fluent enough to um, take a medical exam, to go through the process of practicing here. 
Um, so we are practicing telemedicine into the US. And since coming here, we've been here now since August 2020. And now that our Portuguese has improved, now we're starting to look into how do we get a medical license here and how can we practice here uh, locally, at least kind of maybe doing a split between Portugal and the US. So part-time in yeah. both. We would your... love that. I think that's yeah. our, at least for me, that's my my dream. That would be my dream, my goal. Yeah, and that gives you some mobility too for traveling exactly. around, right? Then you exactly. can explore more of Europe, but without having to have the opportunity cost of no yes. income while you're exactly. traveling around, which is how Absolutely. most of us do it, right? Like the, it's not just the cost of the vacation, it's the cost of missing work, so. Yes, yes, absolutely. So tell us about um, some of the other countries that you've helped mm. your clients with, other other places where people have approached you and you've, you've helped them practice either as you're doing or to actually practice medicine in those countries. Yeah. Um, so one of the, so the primary resource that we originally started out with through Hippocratic Adventures was, um, we have a pretty large community because I, I don't have the experience of practicing in Canada or Australia, New Zealand, UK or Germany. And so we reached out to our community to be like, Hey, is anyone practicing here? And a lot of them actually reached out to us. Wait, sorry, and, your community, there was a leap there. Yes. What, yes. what community? Oh, sorry. So Hippocratic Adventures is a community of American trained physicians who are practicing medicine outside the US or who dream of practicing medicine outside the US. And um, so we started um, a Facebook group in May 2020, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, which sounded crazy at the time because you couldn't move anywhere, you could get to go anywhere. <laughs> but you could <laughs> so dream like, about it and you could think could about it, you could plan for it. it. Yeah, no, it seems like exactly. the ideal time. <laughs> yes. Everyone's getting um, antsy. Yeah. And then we, and we, on this Facebook group, we started sharing resources. So I reached out to a friend who had moved from the US to New Zealand. And she helped me write up um, a guide on how you transition from the US to New Zealand, what the medical licensure process is like, how do you find a job? Um, how do you go through immigration? What is the work culture like? Um, so she helped me with that. One of my other friends had moved from the US to Canada. So we collaborated and she wrote up the guide on practicing in Canada. Um, then through our community, we found another member who practiced, who moved from the US to the UK, and she wrote the guide on practicing in the UK. Um, then we had, we found another physician who moved to Australia. So like all of these country specific guides have been written by physicians who transitioned from the US to that other country. Um, and we have them in not only English speaking countries like Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, but we have them in Germany and Sweden and Norway and Singapore and China. And this is all in South Africa. Um, and this is all because of um, members in our community who helped us, who actually wrote the guides based on their experience of transitioning to the US. So it's uh, the guides and these um, spotlights that we've um, created uh, that are helping people transition from the US to the country that they wanna to go to. Um, 
And then in creating these resources, we started getting a ton of questions about what about my particular situation? Um, what about this specialty? What about that specialty? How does pediatrics work? Or how does um, OB work in this country? How does psychiatry work? And so based on that, we created a guidance service, which essentially provides one-on-one -on -one, um, consultations or guidance from physicians who have transitioned from the US to let's say Canada or Israel or Germany or Australia or New Zealand. Oh, and sorry, they help. Sorry. sorry about the interruption of the audio, everyone. I'm on hospital call. And given that uh, Ashwini is on Portuguese time, uh, this was the only time while I'm on call uh, that we could. And so, so I got a consult and I'll be seeing them in a little bit. So, um, but she was telling us about her, about, about the community um, yes. that's surrounding Hippocratic Adventures. Yes, so it's um, all these community members that essentially shared their own experiences moving from the US to the country that they moved to. And they shared the experience of how you get licensed in that country, how you find a job, what the work culture is like. Um, and these same um, community members who wrote these blog posts and created these guides also provide one-on-one -on -one guidance. And we created that just based out of a need because we kept getting a lot of questions about an individual's particular situation. And so um, they provide guidance to help individuals get from the US to Canada, Germany, Israel, um, as well as um, uh, practicing telepsychiatry in particular from outside the US. Um, and in the process, that's what of, your husband does, correct? Yes, yes, yes. So my husband is practicing telepsychiatry. And so that was kind of um, an easy way for him to be able to help people that want to do something similar. Okay, so you guys have blog posts yes. that that um, members have written about their experiences getting into the other country. And if people are having issues with specific questions, then you also function as like a matchmaking service. Like, oh, yeah. I want to practice in Israel. Great. We have a doctor that's practicing there. Exactly. We'll link you up and then they can answer your specific questions. Exactly. And really provide one-on-one um, -on -one guidance. And really, it's a lot of just like um, help assurance that we can do this, that it's possible, um, and helping to navigate kind of some of those cultural differences as well. So when people are considering practicing abroad, Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the misconceptions that you hear from physicians? Like, oh, no, I can't do it because of X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And you're like, no, actually, you can. All of that is wrong. So what are those misconceptions? Yeah. I think the first misconception, which you nailed it on the head, is you can't do that, period. And that's a sentence, and it's a no. And I think that's the first like reflex reaction that a lot of people have. And I think we're trying to break through that because what we're learning is that you can do it. It just depends how much you are willing to put into it and how important it is to you. Um, so I think there are ways around it and that's what our resources and community is all about is finding a way to live out the dream that you want. Um, the other misconception, a lot of people think that you have to redo residency. And in the countries that we have profiled, we, um, that is actually not the case. And the majority of the time, what ends up happening is, depending on the country, specifically if there is a language requirement, 
So if they're not English speaking, a lot of them do require that you take a medical exam in that language. So if you're trying to practice in France, you've got to take the French medical exam to actually practice in France. And that's in French, obviously. But that makes sense if you want to practice medicine in France. Um, but even then, even if you go through that step, you still don't have to redo residency. And in most countries, you'll have a period of supervision where you work um, kind of alongside and under the supervision of a local physician. And most of the time, at least from all the members that we have um, talked to and all the countries that we've spotlighted, that supervision is actually very helpful because each healthcare system is different, the culture is different, and it's actually a fantastic way to um, have someone there that can kind of like navigate you through that. Um, so you don't have to redo residency, but you do often have to work under supervision. And most of the time they treat you like an attending physician, but you do need some extra help in navigating that healthcare system. Have you encountered any countries where you do need to redo a residency or at least a year or two? Because that's that was my impression. My impression was yeah. it's reciprocal, right? Unless you have a country that has a, a severe need for more, um, mm -hmm. more physicians, more specialists of a certain specialty, so they're, they're gonna make it easier for you. But if they're not in that situation, they're going to go like, well, you can't practice in America without doing a residency. So you can't practice. Americans can't practice here. Right. Are there any countries where that, that is? Um, at least not of the ones that we have profiled. Um, I can't speak to the ones that we haven't profiled. because Right. There are a lot of countries out there. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of countries. But at least the ones that we've profiled, um, you don't need to redo a residency. Most of the time, you do have to work under supervision for a period of time till you prove that your um, you have a good grasp of the healthcare system and the way that medicine works in that country. Um, it, it I think part of the reason that it is like that is because American training, American med schools, American residencies are actually highly valued, and our fellowships are highly valued, um, and they they, along with Canadian, UK, Australian residency, have a very high standard and they're highly respected throughout the world. Um, so I think that's why you don't have to necessarily redo a residency, but you definitely have to learn um, about that healthcare system and go into it. I think with humility is, is important. And something you said caught me, you and your husband have been in Portugal for a year and a half and you're yes. ready to take a Portuguese medical exam? Uh, I wouldn't, no, no, no. I, I'm not ready to take the Portuguese medical exam. You're ready to think Our, about it. Yes, I'm ready to think about it because um, we have been, <laughs> we took an immersion class right uh, pretty soon after we arrived where we were, we studied Portuguese for 20 hours a week. I was not aware of this, but we were, um, we enrolled in an immersion class where we were studying Portuguese 20 hours a week for four months. And so that definitely got us from knowing thank you, obrigada in uh, Portuguese to being able to converse a bit more. Um, and we continue to take uh, Portuguese classes. Now it's not 20 hours a week, it's two hours a week. But um, when you're immersed, it's really impressive um, how much language you can acquire because I did study Spanish from sixth grade through college and my Portuguese within a year and a half 
is pretty much um, up to the amount of Spanish that I spoke after like 12 years of studying Spanish. So yeah, the immersion is the immersion is key. I, uh, I studied abroad, I studied Hebrew in college and then studied abroad yeah. in Israel, uh, which I haven't practiced wow. since and it's been like 20, 20 years yeah. since I graduated college. So now I know nothing. So it's yeah. the opposite of immersion. It's <laughs> I don't know what the op, I don't know what the inverse of immersion is. Um, oh, immersion? No. Uh, I, so I'm the, saying, the opposite, right? Like so, yes, if you're but if yes. you're around it all the time, then it makes such a huge yeah. difference because even like if you go for a walk, everyone else around you is speaking Portuguese, so you like overhear conversations in Portuguese. Um, snooping, you listen to huh? the, yeah, snooping, obviously you're, you're like <laughs> hearing other people's gossip and you're like, oh, I wonder what they're saying. Um, or you listen to the radio and the music is in Portuguese. So even just that is, um, incredibly helpful. So I wouldn't say I'm fluent, but I'm starting to now be able to at least read the instructions of how someone who didn't get a license in the EU can navigate. So that's, yeah. that's a huge step too. <laughs> So tell us a little about Portugal, Portugal's healthcare system. Right? We're not going to have a whole episode yeah. just on the Portuguese system, but just some some highlights so our listeners can understand sure. a little bit how it works. So I will speak to it more as a patient who has used the Portuguese healthcare system because I'm not working within the Portuguese healthcare system. Um, but so they have a national healthcare system, first of all, which is mind blowing for, for us. Um, so any, all Portuguese citizens and legal residents have health insurance and they have health care automatically. Um, the primary care doctor that you have through, your, through the national health system, it depends on where you live in the sense of um, if you live in this area in like this particular region, you go to that region's health center and that's where your primary care doctor is. And that's where you get your vaccines and your medicines and all of that. Um, we do, and, and at the same time, they do have private insurance and private clinics and private hospitals. So we personally do have both um, access to the uh, Portuguese national health system as well as private insurance to cover access to private clinics and private doctors. Um, the reason we chose to do that is because like a lot of countries, there is a shortage of family doctors in particular and family doctors or general practitioners are the ones that staff the primary care clinics. And so you can definitely have a long waiting list or a long wait time to see us to see your family doctor or to then be referred to a specialty doctor. And for that reason, we took out um, private insurance to pay for seeing a private doctor if needed. Um, and as far as like the kids vaccines and everything, all of that is covered by the National um, Health Service. And that's where we get the majority of the medical care for our kids, at least. Um, what, two of the coolest things that happened is we needed to get blood tests at a point and they just gave me a prescription for a blood test that told me the cost of the blood test on the prescription. So I knew how much I was gonna pay for like a normal blood test. And it was nothing. It was like very little amount of money for like a CDC, a BMP. And then the best part 
was that we then got prescriptions for certain medications. And right on that prescription, it told me the maximum amount that I would pay for that medication. And that just blew my mind. I was like, so I don't have to go to the pharmacy and be like, have the pharmacist run my insurance and then give me some like quote of like, this medication is $1,000 a day. Um, it was right there on the prescription. And that literally like blew my mind. And I was like, wow, that, that is what we need. I need to know how much these things cost um, and how much I'm going to pay for them when I go to the pharmacist. So not not well you need an inhaler and adverse covered but it's got to be brand name advair right. but that's the that's the contract that your insurance company has so right. because that's the one in your plan uh <laughs> but you have a high deductible so it's actually going to cost right. you 300 dollars, and that's the exactly. cheapest one and 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 yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so Amazing. that to us just blew our mind and so you you're, you said your husband does uh telehealth yeah. for psychiatry yes. you do telehealth for palliative care Yes. And the where we can find that at, and I apologize, I can't pronounce this word. Is it Epion MD? Uh, we call it Epione MD. Epione, um, okay. E P I O N E MD. Yes. Epione. Okay. So what is that all about? So Epione MD. So one of the things that happened as we started thinking about how do we move to Portugal and how do we make this happen was um, I'm a palliative care doctor. And so one of my frustrations has been that I see the power of what palliative care provides people that are living with illness, their caregivers, uh, just the relief it provides in so many ways and the support that it provides. And it was really frustrating to me that a lot of people could benefit from palliative care, but not everyone can access palliative care. And that to me was incredibly frustrating. Then in the middle of COVID, everyone came on to telemedicine and started becoming familiar with it. And I was like, this is a perfect platform to provide palliative care and to reach areas that don't have access to it currently, but they still have access to a smartphone or a smart device and internet, and they should be able to access kind of experts. Um, so that's where EpineMD was born out of. And what we do is we essentially provide um, virtual serious illness coaching and advanced care planning for those individuals who are aging, living with illness, and their caregivers. And then we are also providing telepalliative care medical consultations to healthcare organizations. Um, and we're a team of four people. We are two palliative care physicians, one palliative care social worker, and one palliative care chaplain uh, who provide the coaching service and the palliative care service. Okay, so it's coaching to individuals yes. and yep. then medical recommendations to organizations. Yes. So yeah. you are not treating individual patients. Right. So through the coaching service, it is coaching. So we don't prescribe meds. We don't work up a symptom. We don't diagnose. But we take care of things like helping individuals identify what's important to them, what their values are. We help them develop a framework for making medical decisions. We provide emotional and spiritual support. We help them communicate their wishes with loved ones and their healthcare team. And then we connect them with supportive resources in the community. Um, so that's from the coaching side and from the medical consultations where we actually provide telepalliative care consultations, 
we do take care of patients directly, but it is through a hospital, like a, a hospital system, or it's through a large group practice. And that service, we are still looking to pilot. So we're looking for um, a rural or a community hospital or a large multi-specialty practice where we can offer palliative care services to actually see patients and provide medical care. Is that how you get around having to have a medical license in all 50 states? So with the coaching service, um, that is how our coaching service allows us to provide um, coaching. And we it's essentially like a lot of goals of care conversations, a lot of caregiving support, a lot of emotional, spiritual support. Um, and so through our coaching service, we're able to provide it to people throughout the US. Um, and we don't need a medical license for that because we're not providing medical care through that arm. Which means but you're yeah. also not billing insurance, right? We are not billing insurance. It okay. is private pay. Yeah. Okay. And that was also kind of done intentionally to not have an insurance company dictate to us the type of care we can provide and the amount of time. And it allows us to provide a lot more personalized care to people. And less overhead um, and complexity to you, right? Yes, like, and less overhead and complexity. You don't have yes, to manage because that is it's that ends a up being a lot simpler. Yeah, a lot more work and a lot more absolutely. overhead, and yeah. yeah. Um, and then through the telepalliative care arm, where we do provide medical consultations, we do have to be licensed in the states where we are practicing. So how are you going to do that? I guess what you're going to find is you're going to do it kind of backwards, right? You're going to get yeah. a hospital to exactly. agree to your services and then you'll get licensed then, in that exactly. state. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so we are all licensed in um, the states that we practice in anyways. Like I kept my Massachusetts license. Um, my colleague works in Vermont, so she has a license there and the social worker and chaplain work in Massachusetts. So they're all licensed. We're all licensed. Um, but yes, once we find kind of a partner organization to pilot with, that's where we would get our second medical license or whichever state that's in. If you were building this platform again, is there anything that you would have done differently the second time around? I don't think I understood and I understood it now. I understand it now how important community organizations actually are because when I worked as a physician in a large hospital system, I had no idea of what community organizations are out there. Um, what do you mean community organizations? Uh, community organizations whose interests overlap with that of palliative care. So community organizations that are working on um, end of life care, community organizations that are supporting cancer patients, that are supporting ALS patients, I didn't understand, I now realize how important they are um, and how important it is to partner with these organizations that have um, a built-in community, essentially, of people that could need help uh, from us, essentially. And I think that's become very critical. And um, it would have been much easier while I was in Massachusetts to go around to meet people in, in person. Um, and to start building those connections because I did not have those connections when I worked in the hospital. Excellent, excellent. So um, back to Hippocratic Adventures, um, yeah. any parting words that you would give to one of our listeners who's considering or 
pre in the pre contemplative stage of going on a Hippocratic adventure? What would you say to them? I would say you can do it. You can do it. If this is important to you and this means something to you, you can do it. And it's hard work. Um, it's a lot of being uncomfortable because you're leaving the path that most other people are on and you are forging your own. And sometimes it's isolating, but um, there is this entire community who has done that and who's there to support you. And I would say, keep going. If this is something that is important to you, keep going. Excellent. And where can we find you online? Uh, so our community, Hippocratic Adventures, it's hippocraticadventures.com. Um, and then you can find EpineMD at epineemd.com -E -E for palliative care uh, support. Excellent. Dr. Ashwini Bapat, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.